0: I'm Daniel Levine, and this is RareCast. GM1 gangliosidosis is a rare and deadly lysosomal storage disorder that causes progressive damage to neurons in the brain, as well as the heart, liver, bones, and other tissue throughout the body. There are currently no approved therapies to treat the condition. Passage Bio, which has a collaboration with the gene therapy program at the University of Pennsylvania, is developing a gene therapy to treat the condition. We spoke to Samia Zadi, Vice President of Clinical Development for Passage, about GM1 gangliosidosis, the company's experimental therapy to treat the condition, and what's known about the therapy from work that's been done to date. Samia, thanks for joining us.
1: Danny, thank you for having us.
0: We're going to talk about passage bio, gene therapies, and your efforts to develop a treatment for the rare lysosomal storage disorder, GM1 gangliosidosis. I'd like to start with Passage Bio itself and, and the relationship with the gene therapy program at the University of Pennsylvania on which it was founded in 2019. My guess is this was seen as a way to solve the translational research problem for the Penn Gene Therapy Program while creating a reliable stream of preclinical candidates for Passage Bio essentially outsourcing discovery. How has the relationship worked out in practice and what's the interplay between the two organizations?
1: Uh, Excellent question, Danny. And I I will say that that is one of the highlights I think working at Passage Bio is this amazing opportunity to have the partnership with the University of Pennsylvania Gene Therapy Program um, team. There's tremendous talent on, on both sides. Uh, robust science from from the gene therapy program group, and we've got uh, tremendous talent at Passage Bio to bring this to the clinic and advance these programs in clinical trials. Um, the collaboration is ongoing, and and we're we're very pleased with the partnership.
0: Well, let's talk about GM1 gangliosidosis. What is this?
1: GM1 gangliosidosis is what we call an autosomal recessive genetic disease, which means it requires uh, both parents, uh, for the most part, to carry at least one copy of the defective gene, where uh, the patient who um, has GM1 gangliosidosis, in our case, the children, uh, will inherit uh, one defective copy from, from each parent and then be affected with the disease. It is what we call a neuronopathic lysosomal storage disease. And that basically implies uh, that it does have neurological manifestations, but it is a result of an enzyme that is uh, deficient or absent called the beta-galactosidase enzyme. And as a result of the deficiency or absence of the enzyme activity, there's a buildup of toxic substrate um, in, in small organelles called the lysosomes that normally would be cleared out by the enzyme. So they build up um, and eventually cause damage um, and over time atrophy of the nerve cells.
0: Well, how does the condition manifest itself and progress?
1: Do you know gangliosidosis is one of the devastating diseases um, uh, of, of the neurodegenerative disorders? It is a spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum, you do have the very severe form. Um, which present in early infancy in the first few months of life. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you do have the adult onset. Across the spectrum, this disease does rob patients from the quality of life um, and just being able to carry out the daily activities uh, uh, of their living. In the patients that we target, the early infantile and late infantile, it is devastating in the sense that these children develop uh, significant neurological symptoms, lose any previously acquired um, healthy developmental milestones, and eventually, mostly in the early infantile, they succumb to their disease in the first two to three years of life.
0: What's the prognosis for someone with the condition today, and are there any treatment options that exist?
1: Yeah, great question. Unfortunately, GM1 gangliosidosis does not have an approved treatment. So there's a huge unmet need there that, that we're we're trying to tap into with PBGMO1 and the Imagine One clinical trial. Uh, at the moment, the only opportunity or only option in terms of management is really supportive care. Uh, so once these families, um, and when we're speaking to uh, speaking uh, regarding the patients, the younger patients that we are targeting, families receive the diagnosis, are offered supportive care. There's really no treatment that is approved that could alter the natural history of the disease and result in regaining milestones or halting the progression of the disease. And that's really what we're aiming for with PBGM01. How,
0: how are patients generally diagnosed today, and at what age do they get diagnosed?
1: The, the diagnosis poses a huge challenge uh, for our GM1 uh, gangliosidosis patients there is no newborn screening. So the only way that these children or patients are diagnosed is after they develop symptoms. In many patients, it takes months um, uh, to actually get a final diagnosis. And it's largely due to overlapping symptoms between GM1 gangliosidosis and other neurogenitive disorders. There's this diagnostic odyssey, um, given that it is a rare disease. Uh, so ultimately they, uh, they get tested and, and they're discovered to have Low levels of the beta galactosidase uh, enzyme, or absent levels um, at the time of diagnosis, it leads to genetic confirmation. Um, there are a few patients that happen to have family history or siblings who were affected by the disease, and those are most likely to get um, genetic confirmation of their their diagnosis probably early in the course of the disease or prior to them developing symptoms.
0: Despite the rarity of the condition, there were actually three companies in including Passage, that it had therapies in development. One of these companies, COG Therapies, announced it was shutting down and it ended its licensing agreement with the University of Massachusetts for its GM1 gangliosidosis program. But how does having these other programs out there affect development decisions?
1: Great question. Um, so, Danny, Passage Bio from the start has um, built a model in in, in in which patients are put first, and and we have remained focused on those core values of putting the patients first. I cannot comment on other companies, but I will um, I, I I will share that at Passage, we do remain focused on clinical execution of the study, and remain steadfast in advancing PBGMO1 to the clinic.
0: Did you find yourself having to compete for patients to enroll in the study? Or is there an ample number of patients available?
1: We have um, a number of sites across several countries at this point, um, and and we're incredibly grateful for the patients, the families, and our study investigators who have advanced um, the enrollment. And we've we've had an opportunity to uh, enroll patients at a pace uh, that aligns with our protocol.
0: Well, tell us about your experimental gene therapy. What is it and, and how does it work?
1: PPGMO1 is a form of gene therapy that utilizes a virus or a viral vector to deliver the human GLB1 transgene. The human GLB1 transgene codes for the beta-galactosidase enzyme. Now, AEV or adeno-associated virus is one of the most widely used viral vectors in gene therapy, uh, mostly in monogenic disorders, due to its excellent safety profile. Uh, So the AAV capsid that is used in PBGM1, AAV-HU68, packages the um, full-length transgene of the human GLB1 gene um, that is defective in these children, um, and it delivers it to the target cells. Um, And here, obviously, we we want to target the central nervous system.
0: Passage has taken a, a somewhat different approach to delivery of the gene therapy than some of the other therapies I've seen out there. What's the approach that PASSAGE is taking and why is it taking that route of administration?
1: Great question. Uh, there are different administration methods for AV. Um, and in my experience, um, different uh, delivery methods target different cells. We do believe that passage bio for the GM1 gangliosidosis patients, PBGMO1 um, has a great opportunity for efficient transduction and broader distribution of central nervous system with the intracisterna magna delivery method. The delivery through the intrasisterna magna allows us to deliver PBGMO1 into the cerebral spinal fluid, enhancing the opportunity for more efficient, faster transduction to the central nervous system in a broader distribution. It also allows us to uh, circumvent the, the systemic toxicity that has been uh, reported on in, and is observed in, uh, with systemic or intravenous delivery of AAV. And when you're delivering into the CNS, uh, you largely require lower uh, viral vector loads and, and lower doses than when you deliver to, uh, through the systemic circulation.
0: So I'm certainly no expert on brain anatomy, but I take it the cysteina magna is at the lower portion of the back of the head?
1: Correct. It's at the base of the skull.
0: So does that require that you bore a hole? How, how is it? Do you just inject it directly?
1: We have um, a trained proceduralists who provide the administration under CT guidance um, with the use of contrast as necessary. It's a injection with a needle, uh, uh, a highly specialized needle that um, is used uh, in, in clinical practice for other purposes, um, and it's very similar to uh, a lumbar puncture, uh, which is a routine procedure uh, done in clinic. It's just delivered at a much higher level, at the level of the cisterna magna, just at the base of the skull.
0: Passage has focused on viral vectors. What's the case for using AAV, particularly with a, a neurological condition?
1: Um, I'm happy to speak to that, given uh, my experience with AAV uh, as one of the most um, uh, widely used viral vectors in gene therapy. It has an excellent safety profile. Uh, it is not known to cause disease uh, in humans that we know of. Uh, it allows us to package a full-length transgene for GM1 gangliosidosis in the form that we have done for pbgmo one And one of the highlights for ppgm one is the AVU68 capsid that is utilized in one is a variant of the AAV9 serotype. And what we do know is AAV9 has demonstrated both preclinical and clinical studies to have really good, um, what we describe as transduction uptake into the central nervous system, as well as excellent biodistribution. And this, of course, serves a great purpose for treating um, our patients with neurodegenerative disorders with rapid progression if you can get in there and and, um, ensure efficient transduction uptake into the cells and rapid translation and production of or expression of the transgene.
0: At the end of February, Passage provided updated data on its Imagine 1 Phase 1-2 study of PGM-01. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. <laughs> At the end of February, Passage Bio provided updated data on its Imagine 1 Phase 1-2 study of the gene therapy. What did the data show and what's known about its safety and efficacy from what's been done to date?
1: You're correct, Annie, we had, um, we at Passage Bio had a great opportunity at Boral 2023 to share an update on the safety and efficacy data for the first six patients in the Imagine One study. Uh, from a safety standpoint, we're very encouraged by how well tolerated PBGMO1 has been. Uh, we have had no treatment-related uh, serious adverse events. Uh, We have not seen peripheral neuropathy or dorsal root ganglion toxicity. That's uh, been a concern in preclinical studies with AAV. And we have a favorable immune profile with no antibodies uh, to the transgene product that we have seen. Now, what's new at World uh, 2023 that we shared in the end of February uh, is what we're really excited about. We're building on what we previously shared in December of 2022. Uh, We continue to see meaningful improvement across uh, the developmental areas for most uh, of our patients who are milder at baseline, and we're excited to share new data from a clinical standpoint as we're encouraged by our MRI findings. So this year, we shared our MRI severity scores. The severity score is a score that was developed uh, mostly in late infantile patients with GM1 gangliosidosis and juvenile patients, and it's based on cerebral and cerebellar atrophy but also white matter signal abnormalities and changes in some of the structures in the brain, including the basal ganglia and hippocampi. All of these regions in the brain are typically impacted in GM1 gangliosidosis. So this score gives you an idea of how advanced um, the disease is and whether there is stabilization or changes. And what we're really pleased to see is that although in the natural history, the higher the score, the more structural damage, what we're seeing in our patients to date uh, is that uh, there's stabilization of these scores over time, and we look forward to continuing to see how these children do and will continue to follow these outcomes. Also new at World, and, and this year, is, is we were pleased to share additional GM1 ganglion substrate data, um, and, and we had previously shared at, in December biomarker data. Uh, that showed a dose dependent response uh, in our higher dose cohorts uh, in the CSF beta galactosidase activity, uh, as well as uh, a dose dependent reduction in one of our GM1 gangliosides in the cerebrospinal fluid at the higher dose. Uh, so, we were really pleased to share um, new data on uh, GM1 substrates, specifically the urine DP5 levels, uh, where we're seeing a prominent reduction uh, at, at the high dose. And this really just further supports our previous findings um, that suggest peripheral beta-gal enzyme activity. So collectively, uh, we were, we're really excited to, to build on what we shared back in, in December in, uh, in terms of a dose-dependent response.
0: I, I know it's early days. Is there anything that's known about the durability of the therapy?
1: From experience, I will share that uh, proper assessment, as, as you just alluded to, of durability of treatment does indeed require time, especially in these neurodegenerative disorders. All of our study participants are automatically rolled into a three-year long-term follow-up study once they complete the first two years of the Imagine One study.
0: What's the development path forward, and when, when do you think you might be in a position to f- seek approval?
1: At this stage uh, of the study in the dose ascending phase, Passage Bio remains focused on the clinical execution of the phase. And as we obtain additional data, this will inform the path forward.
0: Is the expectation that you would use a natural history study as a p- comparator?
1: That's a great question, Danny. And, and I, I think as in any open label study without a placebo arm, uh, natural history data is critical. We have a key advantage through our partnership with the University of Pennsylvania. They're conducting a natural history study. Uh, it continues to inform us um, in, our, in our development plan uh, and it will continue to inform the path forward when it comes to our comparative group.
0: And is there any sense on how large a study might be necessary to seek approval?
1: Both studies can, are ongoing um, and we'll continue to assess the totality of data from both studies and work with our collaborators to make such determinations.
0: This is a, a condition that is rapidly fatal. Is there any sense at how early patients will need to be treated to get the full benefit of a gene therapy?
1: You're absolutely correct, Danny. In, in my experience as a child neurologist and in this field uh, with these devastating diseases, generally the earlier you can treat, the better the outcome. Um, now this will obviously vary from one disease to another, Um, But we have previously shared how baseline developmental age appeared to contribute to our treatment response. Um, And as a result, we are assessing modifications to our eligibility criteria to incorporate learnings from this observation. Uh, And we're looking forward to optimizing the risk-benefit profile of pbgm one
0: Samia el Zaidi, Vice President of Clinical Development for Passage Bio. Samia, thanks so much for your time today.
1: Danny, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me.